All right, welcome to the show, everybody. We are going to have some fun today. I told you the other day, Stella got her groove back. Our big wet boy, Donald Trump, has now uh, surged back into the lead on the Republican side for the 2024 primary. Um, got a lot to say about that. We have other Republicans now coming out of the woodworks, taking pot shots at Trump. Why? Because they want to run in 2024. So um, it's getting kind of ugly out there, dog. And Republicans are uh, defending their plan to invade Mexico. They want a war with Mexico. Okay, I, you can't make this stuff up. We'll dive into all the specifics of it. But before we do that, I got uh, a little show announcement here for you guys. Uh, we got a live show, y'all. We got a live show going on in Austin, Texas. It's going to be um, Friday, February 3rd at the Paramount Theater. Look, I'm telling you guys now, go get the tickets now if you want to come because they're they're almost gone. I mean, we're talking 95%, 98% gone. Um, I was warned by the Breaking Points crew, like, you better, you know, hop on it now because if you don't, then there's going to be no Z's left. So if you're if you live in the Austin area, if you want to see us, you better hop on the tickets right now. Um, I'll leave the link in the video description box. It'll be the first link. So it's going to be myself, Crystal Sager. Um, I don't know if Marshall's going to be there. He might be there. But again, it's at the Paramount Theater, Friday, February 3rd. The doors open at 630. The show is at 730. This is as far as I know, this is the last live show that we're actually doing. Um, you know, at least there, there's nothing else planned. So if you're interested in coming, definitely hop on it right now. We're, uh, you know, we're we're running out of time here. And then, of course, I'm excited to go to Austin because I'm going to meet with uh, one of my favorite YouTubers, RM Brown. Really looking forward to that. Dude's hilarious, man. You have to check out his YouTube channel. Go watch RM Brown's YouTube channel. You'll really get a kick out of it. And then also, I'm going on one uh, Joseph Robinette Biden's, Joseph Robinette Rogan's YouTube channel. Not YouTube channel, his podcast, whatever, whatever it is. I love how it's the biggest podcast in the world, and I'm over here having brain farts talking about like his name and the name of the show. Anyway, so uh, we'll be going on there. That could get interesting, man. That could get interesting because <clears throat> I love Joe. He's such a nice and sweet guy. But let's keep it real. Politically, I I, I do think he's said some things recently that I look at. I'm like, mm, Joe, Joe, what are you doing, Joe, Joe, Joseph, Joseph. So anyway, we might get into, you know, Biden, DeSantis. You know, th there's a lot of stuff to talk about, a lot of things that we could potentially argue over. So uh, we shall see. Anyway, without further ado. Let's go ahead and uh, and jump into the stories that we got today. So this this one right here is it, it doesn't get any lower than this. If you thought the Republicans were at the bottom, they decided let's bring in some heavy equipment and go below the bottom. So this is in Axios. They say no more sliced cheese, white rice under proposed Iowa snap bill. So for those of you who don't know, snap is just the, the fancy new way of saying food stamps. If people are poor and, you know, they struggle to eat food to have enough meals, you have the food stamp program, the SNAP program, which makes sure that, hey, you know, you're not going to go hungry in what's supposed to be the richest country on Earth. Um, well, Iowa Republicans decided, how about we put some onerous restrictions on food stamps? So we try to limit what poor people are allowed to buy. So the new bill... Um, it's a new bill. Again, it's in Iowa. And here is what the 40 House Republicans have co-sponsored. They say they want to restrict so you can't buy white grains with food stamps. 
People can only purchase 100% whole wheat bread, uh, brown rice, and 100% whole wheat pasta. So you can't have any white bread uh, of, of any kind. There's no baked, refried, or chili beans. You're only allowed to purchase black, red, or pinto beans. They're banning fresh meats. So people can only purchase um, canned products like canned tuna or canned salmon. Uh, that's that's amazing. So apparently no fresh fish either, because they're saying only canned tuna, canned salmon. That means you probably can't get fresh salmon and no fresh meats. And they're saying no sliced, cubed, or crumbled cheese and no American cheese. It's like, I don't even know, how did they come up with this? It's like they had a giant hat with foods in it, and they just like pulled out like, no, American cheese. We got American cheese, everybody. No American cheese. How did you come up with this? And why are you doing it? Look, the thing that's so gross about this is like, we all know Iowa's got bigger problems than a poor person having some American cheese, than a poor person eating a steak or, or some high-quality chicken. Like, you're going to put time, money, and resources towards this when, look, I don't have the number in front of me, but how many people in Iowa don't have health care? We know it's 85 million Americans who are uninsured or underinsured. I'm sure some percentage of them are in Iowa. So you're talking about infrastructure that's falling apart. You're talking about people without health care. You're talking about people with low wages. You're talking about, I'm sure they need a, a jobs program in Iowa. So, but you're focusing on, hey, if you're poor, we're going to crack down on your lifestyle more. Look, the mindset here is this, and you guys have all heard it before one time or another. The mindset is these, uh, these poor people are living high on the hog. Be jealous of the poor people. Because they live on the government dole, they're lazy all day, they sit on their couch and watch sitcoms, and you, hardworking, middle-class American, you should despise them, and you should be jealous of them. That's, that's the mindset that leads to this. And that is nothing but a giant wrench in the middle of what's supposed to be class solidarity. Because class solidarity would allow you to realize, hey, if you're middle class, you and the poor person... You and the homeless person have way more in common than you do with the boss, than you do with the executive, than you do with the top one percenter or the capital owner. And so it's stuff like this. It's, it's the oldest trick in the book. What do billionaires like to do? What do corporations like to do? They like to make the people fight amongst themselves as they run out the back door with all the money. And they've done it along racial lines. They've done it along religious lines. They've done it along, um, you know, sexual identity. And we've seen it over and over. Hey, white people uh, hate the black people because they're moochers and they're parasites and they're leeches and they're stealing your money from you. They're stealing your tax dollars from you with welfare and things of that nature. Um, hey, hey, white people hate Muslims, hate uh, Hispanic immigrants who are coming and taking your jobs. The whole goal is make you hate the person with less money and less power than you have, as opposed to you and, and, and that person being friends and saying, hey, hold on here. It looks to me like these billionaires are ripping us off. It looks to me like these corporations are ripping us off. It looks to me like, you know, every time a new study comes out on income and wealth inequality, it's getting worse and worse. There was that Rand Corporation study from a few years ago. They found that the top fraction of the top 1% effectively stole 50 trillion dollars from the bottom 90 percent hey maybe that's the problem hey maybe it's a problem when the oxfam report comes out and they find that 26 people the 26 richest people have more wealth than the bottom 50 percent of the world the world 
Maybe that's the issue. Maybe it's a problem that corporations are making record profits, record profits, at a time when you're struggling with inflation and you can't go and buy eggs. Maybe that's the problem. But no, and this trick, it works, man. It works, particularly on Republicans. This trick works. They say, oh my God, they're taking your tax money and they're buying uh, filet mignon. Don't you want to ban that? Don't you want to stop that? And by the way, I, I bet when you, when you crunch the numbers on this, I guarantee you the amount of money that's being saved for the taxpayers is infinitesimally small. I guarantee you. But again, they would rather, you know, nickel and dime poor people, cut Social Security, cut Medicare, than go where the real money is. The military industrial complex, Wall Street bailouts, corporate and wealthy tax cuts. Like, that's where your money is. That's where your money is. But no, it's like, let's uh, nickel and dime some, some poor person who wants to have a good meal every now and then. It's just an unbelievably cruel approach to the world. And of course, guys, the, the stereotype of like the poor person who is lazy, sits on their couch all day and watches TV and is just leeching off the government. That's nothing but a stereotype. As a general rule, the overwhelming majority of the people who are struggling are still trying. They're still looking for a job or they're still working a job that pays them less than what it should. A lot of people who are on food stamps are employed. They just don't get paid well. And this is what they do. This is what the ruling class does. It makes middle class people and upper middle class people hate poor people more than they hate the billionaires, the corporations, the top 1%, and the owner class. I mean, it's just so disgusting, man. I can't imagine. I, I, it's hard for me to tap into that mindset. I, I understand it rationally, but it's hard for me to tap into that mindset of some middle class person who's working a tough job, getting angry and finger wagging, at some poor person who's working a shitty job and may get some food stamps and may buy a steak every now and then. So, ooh, you're going to have a steak? No. No, you cannot. You want the regular pasta and not the whole wheat pasta? <laughs> we're so restrictive and we're so punitive against poor people. We act like it's a moral failing of anybody who's poor. Well, it's not. 63% of Americans are living paycheck to paycheck. Are 63% of Americans just lazy, just not trying so hard? Is that what it is? No, oftentimes jobs just pay crap. So anyway, this is a super harmful bill, and Iowa Republicans are not hiding their disdain for regular working people. All right, y'all, we've had the old switcheroo hit us. It happened. Look, for the longest time now, for, you know, at least. Why do I always have to curse and demonetize my own YouTube videos? Anyway, please support the show on Patreon. This new policy from YouTube is killing us. Okay. Um, the old switcheroo happened here. I've been saying for months now that DeSantis is either in the lead in the 2024 Republican primary, even though he hasn't announced yet, um, or if he's not in the lead, it's like dead tied with Trump. Well, I got to say, man. The evidence now says that is not true anymore. Now, this is how you know that, uh, uh, you know, I, I hope you guys trust me because, again, what I'm doing, I'm just going based on the evidence and the facts. And so that's my job is to give you the evidence and the facts first and then give you my take. So before the evidence was saying it's DeSantis, now the evidence is saying we're back to Trump. We're back to Trump. So why is that? That's the question. I'll give it get into the specifics in a second here. But um, 
Well, there's a number of reasons why it could be, right? I mean, he recently flexed some muscle when he backed Kevin McCarthy, and then McCarthy won the speakership in the House. Now, it wasn't actually because of his endorsement that McCarthy won, because there were still like multiple rounds of voting before McCarthy ended up winning. So it was more about the deal they made behind the scenes with Gates and Boebert and all them. But the public perception could have been, oh, no, it was because of Trump that McCarthy got through. So that may have helped him. The other thing which I really think helped him, and I don't know if the timeline on this works out, but it's possible that this helped him, is um, he came out in no uncertain terms and said, hey, Republicans, don't cut a penny from Social Security or Medicare. So that's the return of Keep It Real. That's the return of Normie Trump, who actually had a, his finger on the pulse a little bit, like he did back in 2016 when he said, like, I'm not going to have social jabs. And this was him. I'm not going to catch a Social Security or Medicare. Nobody should. And that's like, I haven't seen this version of Trump in years because he became the Fox News grandpa and then he became like the Newsmax grandpa and then he became the QAnon grandpa and the Pizzagate grandpa and he's over there siloed on Truth Social and he's getting more insane by the day. But this was the first little flash that, oh my God, he's still got some of the old, some of the old magic. And now it's, it's helping him. So the new poll, Trump beats DeSantis, Pence, Haley, Rubio and Cruz combined combined for the GOP primary. Uh-oh. Uh-oh, SpaghettiOs, y'all. A new poll out this week shows former President Donald Trump with more support than several of his next closest possible 2024 GOP primary opponents combined, including Florida Governor Ron DeSantis. Trump beat the competition in a hypothetical eight-way primary in the latest Harvard Caps Harris poll of Republican voters reported by The Hill this week, with 48% of Republican respondents calling Trump their first choice to be the GOP nominee. 48%. That's way up from what it was. He finished with more than the combined individual preferences for DeSantis, who was all the way down to 28%. So 20 points down. Mike Pence at 7%. Marco Rubio at 3%. And Nikki Haley at 3%. And Ted Cruz at 1%. Wow, what a fall from grace for Ted Cruz. Because remember, he finished second to Trump in 2016. That's 20% more than his next closest competitor, DeSantis. He also boasted a 10-point lead over DeSantis in a hypothetical head-to-head primary matchup. 10-point lead head-to-head. And five-point lead over Biden in a general election rematch. Oh! Now, to be fair on the Biden one, that is an outlier poll. Uh, but Trump now having a big lead over all the other Republicans, it is not an outlier. I'm, this is like the third or fourth poll that I've seen in recent days with Trump up and up pretty comfortably. Okay. Trump lost the popular vote to Biden by 5.5 points in the 2020 election. In spite of promise of the promising showing, experts say it shouldn't be taken as a guarantee that Trump will ultimately prevail. So, look, that point I agree with as well. So many things can happen between now and when the election is. And Trump has shown us uh, in the recent past he can absolutely implode. And so that's always on the table now. It's not Teflon Don anymore. He's shown signs of weakness. There were moments of him being Charmin Don and not Teflon Don, but you got to keep it real. Numbers are numbers. Facts are facts. Stella got his groove back and he, he surged back into the lead. Now, again, you can debate and disagree as to why that is, like what exactly was the thing that made him surge to the top again. But one of the big, one of the most important points, man, and this is, this cannot be overstated, is that there's going to be at least like eight other Republicans running. Okay, that's like the only way to guarantee that our big wet boy wins again. In the primary. That's the only way to guarantee it. Because if you have DeSantis, Pence, Cruz, Nikki Haley, John Bolton, uh, all these other freaks getting in, well, they're going to split the the anti-Trump Republicans, the ones who are sort of over his shtick, 
And so it's just a math problem at that point. There's only one Trump. And if there's eight, I'm not Trump candidates. What do you think is going to happen? What do you think is going to happen? So really, look, if the Republican Party was serious, if they really wanted to get it together, they got it. They got to have a meeting behind the scenes. You have to get all of their donors and you have to get all of the candidates who want to run. You get them in one room, you sit down and you iron out everything. Look, who's the best chance to take him down? Keep it real. It's DeSantis. Okay, so you got to have DeSantis. And then DeSantis can look at Nikki Haley, who desperately wants to be president, and say, what position do you want? You want VP? You want to be Secretary of State? What is it? What is it? Let's make deals here. You know, you look at um, Mike Pence and say, hey, man, um, what position would you like in my administration? I'll give you whatever position you want. So what you do is you iron out all the details and then you have just Trump versus DeSantis. And then in that scenario, you have a real dogfight on your hands. And in my estimation, at this point in time, you have a coin flip, right? Uh, because I would bet more on the long term in the long run on DeSantis than Trump, because I think DeSantis has better political instincts and he's more sane. Um, but if you're not going to have a head to head with with Trump and DeSantis, Trump is definitely the favorite. Definitely the favorite. So really, the question is, can the Republican Party get their stuff together? Notice I didn't curse. Get their stuff together so they could be like the Democratic Party was in 2020. Because we all remember what happened. And man, it hurts. Oh, it hurts when you think about it. It really does. You know, you had it was like a day before Super Tuesday, a day before like a whole bunch of votes. And you had Beto O'Rourke, Amy Klobuchar, Mayor Pete. You had like three or four candidates who were kind of big name candidates. They all dropped out at the same time. They all endorsed Biden. And that was them shoving the knife into Bernie's back and twisting it. Because if they didn't do that, Bernie almost certainly would have went on to win. But the Democratic establishment realized Oh, well, you know, we can't have this guy do it because he's going to destroy our whole corrupt scam we got going on here with all these, uh, you know, these insiders and these consultants. None of them will ever get a job again in Democratic politics. So we got to we got to destroy this guy. They organized and that's how they took down Bernie. Can the Republicans get it together enough? Look, my guess is, at least as of right now, no, they can't because they didn't get it together in 2016. It was too little, too late against Trump. And also, there's just too many giant egos in the room. Wait to me. John Bolton's going to run for president. John Bolton, the man who can only get an erection from war. That guy thinks he's got a chance to win. That guy, Nikki Haley, who's basically made in a lab by lobbyists and donors. She's going to win. And by the way, what's her whole pitch? Identity politics. You know, I'm, I'm a I'm a woman of color, but I'm also super conservative and I super serve the donors. OK, well, nobody wants that and nobody likes you. So they got to they got to put their egos aside. They have to do the plan I just laid out, but I don't think they're going to get it together. So at that point, what you're doing is you're relying on Trump to implode, which can happen. It certainly can happen, but it ain't no guarantee, dog. It ain't no guarantee. And Trump is showing the first signs of life that I've seen in a long time. He really is between the Social Security thing. Um, I mean, really, that's that's the biggest thing, right? Social Security, Medicare saying don't cut these under any circumstances. We'll see. We'll see what happens, but the big dog is back on top. So the big gift for Donald Trump is that there's like 18 Republicans with giant egos who want to be president. And if Trump runs and there's like 16 other Republicans in there, Trump is definitely the favorite. 
because he has a solid base of 25 or 30 percent that will never leave him. And the other people are starting from scratch and they're fighting over a limited pool of votes. And so, you know, the Republican establishment is Trump's biggest friend on this front. So here's one of these Republicans. She desperately wants to be president. She's always wanted to be president. She goes on Sean Hannity. Now, this is the shot across the bow here. This is, hey, I'm in the room. I'm in consideration. I'm probably going to do it. And this is also signaling to donors. Okay, we're done with Trump. We're past Trump. You know, I'm your girl. So here's Nikki Haley talking to Sean Hannity. Uh, Let's watch some of this interview. And everything I thought about Nikki Haley has been reinforced watching this. Namely, she has like, I'm being kind by saying a 1% chance to win the election. Let's watch. About 2024. I know you were on with Brett Baer earlier this week. Um, It looks like you're running. I suspect you're running. I don't know for sure. But if you want to make your announcement now, I think a lot of people would be happy. Um, uh, Are you thinking about it? As fun as it would be to announce right now. Um, Yes, we are. I just got rejected. Go ahead. We are leaning in. I mean, look, it is time for a new generation. It is time for more leadership. It is time for the fact that we really start to take our country back. We cannot. Platitude, platitude, platitude. It's time for a new generation. It's time for new leadership. It's time to really take our country back. How many words can you say without saying anything at all? Oh, it gets better have another term of Joe Biden. And we have to remember, too, we have lost the last seven out of eight popular votes for president. It is time that. Oh, snap, son. Oh, snap. That was a direct shot at Trump. That's a little pot shot at Trump. And by the way, that's a fact. What does that tell you about the party you're in? Nikki Haley. Sure, we can't even win a popular vote in national. Seven out of the last eight elections, we lost the popular vote. Think about that, man. If we didn't have the Electoral College and we just had straight popular vote, which is what it should be, by the way, Republicans would get their bunions handed to them on a silver platter. Excuse me, sir. You dropped your ass. She's admitting it. But that's hey, that's oh, this last guy who thinks he's like, you know, the big dog in the room. Why you keep losing by millions of votes, son? And that point's not made enough, even against Hillary, who was a historically terrible candidate. Trump lost by like 3 million votes in the popular vote. We get a Republican in there that can lead and that can win a general election. Let me ask you this. Mm. Now, notice at that point she just made, we need a Republican in there who can win a general election. In other words, that's another shot at Trump. It's like, yeah, you can win the primary, son, but you know what? You're screwed in the general. Now, on this point, look, I despise Nikki Haley, but she's almost certainly right. There's just too much dirt on Trump. He has the normies are gonzo from his coalition and they ain't coming back. So, yeah, he's the favorite for the primary. But then what happens in the general election? I don't know. Look at what happened in 2018. And then look at what happened in 2020. And then look at what happened in 2022. All of the most Trumpian candidates were the ones who lost by the biggest margins. So it's not rocket science, man. Dude's a proven loser at this point. Now, President Trump is the only announced Republican candidate. Uh, he has a very strong following among the Republican base. You know that. The polls show that. Uh, we keep hearing Ron DeSantis's name. We keep hearing Glenn Youngkin's name. We keep hearing Mike Pompeo's name. Uh, Ted Cruz might make a, a run for it. I don't know at this point. Uh, it's a little early. I feel like we just got over the last election to move on to this one. Um, what would you say are the differences? Let's start with President Trump. Make America great again. America first agenda. What, what policy differences do you have with him? Okay, this will be the first and last time you ever hear these words come out of my mouth on this show, but props to Sean Hannity. That was a good question. 
Hell just froze over as I said that. I don't know if I've ever given Sean Hannity any credit at all on this show. But look, that's the exact right question to ask. Look how she handles it. Well, I had a great working relationship with him. I consider him a friend. We, you know, most of the policies that he did, I totally agree with. Um, and, you know, there's going to be other Republicans in the race. Most of them are my friends. You know, let the best woman win. I mean, that's the way I like it. So not only was there literally no policy she mentioned that she disagrees with Trump on, she ends with a dash of identity politics. I'm a woman. I'm a woman. And that cheap nonsense doesn't even work with the Democratic base. And you think that's going to work with the Republican base? You think you're going to be like, hey, she didn't mention a single policy she disagrees with Trump on, but she says she's a woman. So what am I going to do? I guess I got to vote for her. What planet are you on? This woman was made in a lab by lobbyists. Like her whole, she's totally propped up by big money, by corporate interests, by the, the billionaire Republican donors. There's no there there. You know what she reminds me of? She's like female Scott Walker. You remember Scott Walker? He was governor, I think, of Wisconsin, and then he ran for president. Homeboy got negative 4%. He talked about how he eats like a ham and cheese sandwich literally every day of his life for lunch. He's, I mean, he's, whenever he talks, the whole audience. And what happened? He was in the race for like seven and a half minutes, and the donors were like, oh boy, all right, we miscalculated. Wrap it up, Scott. Wrap it up. You are human ambient. You are the human embodiment of melatonin. Even your wife doesn't like you. They had to wrap, they were like, okay, we miscalculated. This guy, this guy has a worse personality than a dirty diaper. Nikki Haley's the same. You were asked what policy you disagree with. I, I really like Trump. I agree with him on many things, and I'm, uh, I, I'm a woman. I'm a woman. Oh, Nikki. Oh, Nikki, this is the saddest thing I've ever seen in my life. It's amazing. She got her head massively gassed up at these cocktail parties that she goes to with other big money Republicans, and she sincerely believes, like, no, I'm going to be the one. They're, they're going to like me. How is she going to handle scrutiny from Donald Trump? And by the way, the most important point here is there are no disagreements on policy. The Republican establishment doesn't like that he's crass, that he's an a-hole, that he's sort of uh, unmoored from reality and he shoots from the hip. They don't like all those things. In terms of what he actually did as president, they're like, oh, yummy in my tummy. Okay, what's his biggest legislative accomplishment? 2017 tax cut. 83% of the benefits went to the rich. Nikki Haley loves that. Loves it. Nikki Haley loves the deregulation. Nikki Haley loves the endless war. There, there is, there's no difference. She says, oh, you know, I agree with most of his policies. No, you agree with all of his policies. You want to put the happy, smiling, female minority face on the exact same slate of horrendous policies. And that's exactly why Donald Trump was the exact same as George W. Bush, right? Like, he railed against the political establishment, and then he embodied the political establishment, and Nikki Haley would be the same thing. So what a terrible, what a terrible answer. Oh my God, Nikki. It's amazing. Sometimes, you know, sometimes I think like, hey, am I wrong about this or that? Or, and then, uh, uh, you know, a clip will come along where you watch it and you're like, no, I should have never doubted myself for even a split second. Good luck. Let me know how that works out in the Republican primary. I'm a woman. I'm a woman. Congratulations. Congratulations. Enjoy that 1% you end up getting in the vote. One of the things Trump has done throughout his entire career, not only when he's been in politics, but also before that, is um, 
he does these like slap lawsuits, which is a frivolous lawsuit. And the whole attempt is to just stifle criticism. Um, he's been very litigious his whole life. If he doesn't like something, if he's annoyed, it's like, I'll sue you. I'm just going to sue you. That's what I'm going to, I'm going to sue you. Um, well, none of this changed in recent years, even though he's in his seventies. And, uh, one of the things he did is he decided, I'm going to sue Hillary Clinton. Okay. So here are the results of that. Judge sanctions mastermind Trump and lawyers $938,000 over, quote, completely, completely frivolous lawsuit against Hillary Clinton. Imagine, imagine losing to Hillary Clinton. Now, again... He beat Hillary Clinton in the election in 2016, but she also got three million more votes than him. And if the system was rational, and he wouldn't have won, right? But imagine losing to Hillary in a lawsuit. Because, uh, keep it real, keep it real. I mean, she's, she's a criminal, right? Like, there's a million crimes she committed. <laughs> so, but to sue her and then lose, oh my god, how weak was your case? Okay, here we go. Former President Donald Trump and his legal team received a verbal and financial flogging by a federal judge who presided over his lawsuit against Hillary Clinton and others. On Thursday night, Judge Donald Middlebrooks of the Southern District of Florida whacked Trump and his lawyers with $938,000 in sanctions for bringing what he called a completely frivolous suit to his court. Trump sued Clinton in March, alleging the former Secretary of State and her cohorts maliciously conspired to weave a false narrative that their Republican opponent, Donald J. Trump, was colluding with a hostile foreign sovereignty. Seems like that should say hostile foreign entity, but they went sovereignty. Anyway... That foreign entity was Russia. Trump sought $72 million in damages. As Politico noted, Middlebrooks originally tossed the case in September and dinged his lawyers $50,000 to pay for attorney fees of a Clinton ally also named in the suit. In his ruling, Middlebrooks ordered a new round of sanctions, stating Trump had no business bringing the suit. Trump's lead attorney in the case was Alina Haba, who was sanctioned jointly with her employer. This case should never have been brought, he wrote. Its, in its inadequacy as a legal claim was evident from the start. No reasonable lawyer would have filed it. Intended for a political purpose, none of the counts of the amended complaint stated a cogni cognizable, hard word to say, legal claim. The money will pay the legal bills of 31 defendants named in his suit, including Hillary Clinton, who will receive $172,000. So here he added the following. Here, we are confronted with a lawsuit that should never have been filed, which was completely frivolous, both factually and legally and which was brought in bad faith for an improper purpose. Jesus Christ, he's torturing him. Mr. Trump is a prolific and sophisticated litigant who is repeatedly using the courts to seek revenge on political adversaries. He is the mastermind of strategic abuse of the judicial process. God damn, son. The former president is famously litigious and has used the courts for all manner of ridiculous lawsuits. After the 2020 presidential election, he initiated several suits in state and federal courts to overturn the contest. By the way, he lost about 60 lawsuits over that. In a much less serious instance, he sued Bill Maher, and we've talked about this $5 million lawsuit against Bill Maher, because Bill Maher made a joke that he didn't like. So, well, that, that certainly backfired. Now, by the way, in other countries, it works like this automatically, where if you bring a suit and you lose, you have to pay your opponent's legal bills. And what that does is it, it stops more frivolous lawsuits from being brought up, because people I'm not going to sue if I might lose hundreds of thousands of dollars. I might not bring a case that's not solid if I'm just going to light money on fire in the process. Here in the U.S., it's not automatic that that happens. So there's an instance where the judge is ordering it, but it's not automatic that that happens. So what that means is he was really like, this is the dumbest thing I've ever seen. You're totally wasting my time here. Now, I don't know who else was named in this lawsuit, but 
if the idea of the lawsuit is, hey, man, you created a bogus narrative with Russiagate and therefore defamed me or it was libel or it was slander or whatever. Now, understand something. I've been a critic of Russiagate all along because there were so many stories I saw that I was like, mm, that doesn't seem to make much sense. Like, for example, when it was Jonathan Chait who said Trump has secretly been a Kremlin asset since the 1980s. And there's a tape of hookers peeing on him or something. And Vladimir Putin has that as compromise. Um there was zero evidence for any of these things. And so I saw that and I was like, you know what? This is just like, this is like the democratic equivalent of QAnon. Like it just, it, it was bullshit. It wasn't true. It was, it was fake. And I'm in the business of giving you guys facts and information and not speculating wildly and, and fudging the facts. And so I told you the truth. I told you this, this is nonsense. The, the dot, dots don't connect here. However, having said that, that doesn't mean that People are not allowed to say it in the same way that you have to defend the free speech rights of people who believe in any conspiracy, whether it's QAnon stuff, Pizzagate stuff, uh, JFK assassination conspiracy, 9-11 truther, whatever it is. People have the right to say things, even things that are untrue. And so for Trump to sue them because, like, I don't like the Russiagate narrative. OK, well, that sucks for you. But that's not grounds to sue somebody. That's insane. So what do you want to do? Anytime anybody makes a claim about you that you don't like or a claim that is untrue, it's all lawsuit worthy? No, this is the whole point of free speech. And that's the ultimate irony here, is that this is a guy who cloaked himself in the language of free speech, acted like he was some sort of free speech hero. And many on the right viewed him that way, too, and acted like he's taken on the social justice warriors and, and, and the woke scolds and, you know, he's going to crack down on the authoritarian left. At no point in his entire time in office did he give any inclination that he was pro-free speech. He sued Bill Maher over a joke. He famously said, we ought to open up the libel laws to sue the media when they come after us. Um, he said, you should get a year in jail for burning an American flag, something that has already been shown by the Supreme Court. They ruled that that is free speech. You're allowed to burn the flag. Even if you don't like somebody burning the flag, it doesn't matter. That's free speech. And so this guy has always been authoritarian in his own right. And so now not only does he have to pay Hillary Clinton, remember there was a lawsuit where Trump sued CNN. I think it was for like $450 million. We covered it back when it came out. This story's from a few months back. And that's laughed out of the courtroom. They're, they're, it's laughed out of the courtroom. You get to fake news media, and so I'm going to sue you. What does that mean? If you don't like something that they say, or even if something that they say is demonstrably untrue, okay, go counter it. You put out a press statement saying this is untrue. You go on some right-wing news outlet to say this is not true. You try to spread far and wide the counter-narrative. This is how free speech works. And if they never meet the burden of proof anyway, they never show evidence anyway for some claim that's bogus, then what are you worried about? What are you worried about? And again, it, Russiagate's a perfect example where I was like, I don't buy it. I don't buy it. Trump is an establishment politician. He's super corrupt. The idea he was specifically beholden to Russia never added up. So I told you guys that. But there were plenty of people who believed in good faith. No, he really is sold out to Russia. He really is. Okay, so what are you going to sue them if they happen to make a claim that you don't like? If they happen to say something even that's untrue, what are you going to sue them? It's not the way this works, especially if you're a public figure, especially if you're the president. Dog, people are going to say all sorts of insane stuff about you. Always. Always. That's how it works. That's how it works. And so the bar for libel, slander, and defamation for a public figure is even higher than it is for a private citizen. Did you guys know that? So there's more leeway to basically lie about or say things that aren't true about public figures. It's true. 
So for him to sue over this, uh, notoriously thin-skinned, notoriously authoritarian, that's what this is, man. That's what this is. And even though I disagree with Hillary on, on the substance of this, I disagreed with the whole Russiagate narrative, to sue over it is flat-out authoritarian and anti-free speech. That's how it works. Did Barack Obama ever wage a lawsuit when he was called a Marxist Muslim Kenyan who wasn't born in America? No. Because he understands, oh, okay, well, that's just not on the table. That's not how this works. Correct. So, imagine having to pay Hillary Clinton, what was it, $172,000 and pay all these people $938,000 all because you wasted the court's time. So now you got to pay their lawyer fees. Massive, massive L. The other day, we talked about how Marjorie Taylor Greene floated the idea of going to war with Mexico. Okay, so uh, to be clear, what she means is, hey, these drug cartels are like basically terrorist armies, and so we need to invade Mexico without their consent, without their agreement, and just start bombing the crap out of the drug cartels. So at the time, you know, you hear that and you're like, nah, that seems sort of like a goofy fringe idea. Um, and now, to be fair, Trump has brought that up himself. He's talked about we need we need the death penalty for drug dealers. OK, that's absolutely psycho. And by the way, that'd be massively unconstitutional here in the U.S. Um, and by the way, you freed Alice Johnson, who was this sweet grandma who was, you know, arrested on drug dealing. She got caught up in some scam and dealt some drugs and then you ended up freeing her th thanks to Kim Kardashian. So anyway, are you saying Alice Johnson should be put to death? Psycho. Well, yeah, Trump saying it. You had Marjorie Taylor Greene saying it. But, you know, like the Romney types, the like, I'm the respectable Republican, bro. Those types, of course, they didn't agree to it. And they never said anything to that effect. Well, here's Dan Crenshaw. Dan Crenshaw, who is a representative of like that wing of the Republican Party, like the Mitt Romney types, the we're actually more serious types. And he goes on Fox News and he's going to double down on this idea. And they're talking about a bill like we're actually going to draft a bill to, to go to war with Mexico. Yeah, real finger on the pulse type stuff you got going on here. This is what Americans wanted when they elected you to uh, to the House for, you know, Republicans have the majority now. They're like, God. We got all these problems. I can't pay my medical bills. I got credit card debt out the wazoo. My student loan bills are crazy. I'm, you know, I'm, my rent is way too high. Let's elect a Republican so they can invade Mexico. Just totally cuckoo stuff. Anyway, listen to what he says. He has his own ideas and worries about what's happening at the border. Uh, this one might need to involve the U.S. military. Congressman, good to see you. Maybe explain what, what's got you very, very concerned. Well, uh, look, we recently introduced uh, AUMF, an authorized use of military force against the cartels and any other uh, organizations that traffic fentanyl specifically. He proposed an authorization for use of military force that allows Biden to order U.S. forces into Mexico to go after drug cartels, even if Mexico says no. And you would think that you're so concerned about fentanyl that you can't even get the name right. Everybody says fentanyl, fentanyl, fentanyl. It's fentanyl. N-Y-L. N-Y-L. Fentanyl. Fentanyl. Not null. Not null. It's not N-O-L. You care so deeply about it, you don't even know how to say the drug. You don't know how to say the drug. And you want to declare war? You want to declare war over fentanyl? 
Go after Big Pharma. Crack down on Big Pharma. Don't invade Mexico. Oh my God, I'm going to have an aneurysm live on air, y'all. I'm going to have an aneurysm live on air. More. So why now and why not, why not years ago? These Mexican drug cartels have been around for a while. But the difference now is fentanyl. Uh, this is not a drug problem. This is not a war on drug problem. This is a poisoning problem. And they're killing about 80,000 Americans a year. And the Mexican government does very little to thwart this. When did we get the fentanyl problem? When did it, when did it become a huge issue? I'll tell you when. When the government decided, we're going to crack down on pain pills. So now, listen, don't get it twisted. It's not like we didn't have a problem with the pain pills. We did. We did. In fact, we had about 30,000 deaths a year from pill overdoses. Well, when they cracked down on the pain pills, made them much harder to get, what happened? A lot of the pain patients and a lot of the addicts said, I got to go to the black market to get my fix. And they went and they would get heroin. And sometimes the heroin was cut with fentanyl. And then you die. So now what are the overdose at? overdoses at? 100,000 a year. I saw one, I think it was 110,000. So we went from 30,000 to 100,000 or 110,000. So look, I'm not a genius or anything, but if you want to get them back down to 30,000, I know how to do it. Because empirically, we've proven we can do that. You have to not do that massive pain pill crackdown. And look, I'm not saying they didn't crack down on the pills with good intent. Of course they did. They thought we got to reduce the number of these pain pills in circulation because people are overdosing on them. But your solution was worse than the problem. Literally, it is mathematically so. And so would he ever come out and say it? No, he wouldn't. Would he ever come out and say that? No, he would never say that. We have other studies. In fact, one we're going to cover later on in this show that, hey, when you have legal weed, uh, addiction goes down. Addiction to other kinds of drugs go down. So you want legal weed everywhere, Dan Crenshaw? Maybe he is pro-legalization of weed. I don't know. You guys tell me. Is he pro-legal weed? I don't know. But pro-legalization of weed, okay, that's one thing you could do. Roll back the stringent regulation against the pain pills. Get rid of prohibition and have, uh, you know, good regulations in place. And look, keep it real. You know what else has been proven to save lives? Safe injection sites. Look, you might not like that, right? It may be a politically incorrect truth, but it is a truth. Anywhere they've done the safe injection sites, you know what happens? You have health experts there, so if there's a problem, if there's an OD, if something's tainted, either you don't take the thing if it's tainted, or if you have something, there's a problem and you OD, they help you right there. So nobody dies. And also it stops the spread of disease because it's clean needles and things of that nature. Now, they would say, well, that incentivizes drug use. It saves lives. So if you really cared about saving lives, legalize weed, do the safe injection sites and roll back the owner's crackdown on the pills. Are you going to do that? You're not going to do that. What's your answer? War. Let's go to war. Uh, and I think there should be bipartisan efforts in Congress to pass an authorized use of military force to, to deal with them. Uh, if anything, that simply gives our president more leverage when trying to get the Mexican government to do its job. And that, that's its job on, on thwarting immigration, which the cartels also control, and thwarting uh, fentanyl coming, coming north across our border and killing American citizens. You know, these I, love, I love his line of argument because it's like, you know, we should try to do a war on drugs. We should do maybe a drug war. Yeah, what a novel idea. We haven't tried that for decades. By the way, you know how many deaths there are as a result of the drug war? Not many people know this fact. 
And actually, this isn't even a, a, a full count because this is just from 2007 to 2018. 115,000 people are dead because of the drug war. 115,000. And again, that's not even a total count. And he looks at that and he goes, we should do more of that. Maybe escalate it. Yeah, I'm sure that's going to work really, really well. In the same way that when we like made alcohol illegal and did prohibition and cracked down on that, alcohol like disappeared, bro. It was gone forever. Nobody ever had a drink again. Hooray for the war on alcohol. Let me know how that worked out. Oh, that's right. The opposite happened. People are a lot more like ISIS than they are the mafia. Uh, you recently saw a war in the state of Sinaloa after the Mexican government arrested El Chapo's son. Uh, these cartels can actually battle close air support. They're, they're battling government helicopters. Uh, this looked a lot like Mogadishu. It looked a, it looked a lot more like Mogadishu than it does your typical organized crime battle. Uh, these people are well-equipped. They set up forward-operating bases that are well-armed right near our border, and they're extremely dangerous. They're some of the most capable, most well-funded, uh, most dangerous uh, organizations on the planet. And so, so let me tell you how he just massively undermined his own argument. Okay. Everybody was, oh my God, El Chapo, El Chapo, you know, the Sinaloa cartel, whichever cartel, you know, he was the head of, um, oh my God, so dangerous. We got to go after him, bro. And they do, they did this strategy called the decapitation strategy. In other words, you take out the head, that's El Chapo. And then the rest of the organization falls apart, withers and dies. What actually happened was the exact opposite. So you got rid of El Chapo. Well, hold on. He had the monopoly on violence. He was the leader. He kept everybody in check. So you got rid of El Chapo, and then you had drug gang wars in the middle of the streets because there was fighting over determining who would be the next leader. Wow. So the thing that they thought would happen, they, were, they couldn't have been more wrong. They were dead wrong. And instead of learning from that and saying, hey, maybe just an outright war approach is not the best way here, he's doubling down on it. He's tripling down on it. He's like, let's just, let's just take out more of the leaders. Okay, but then you're just going to have a va power vacuum and more fighting to determine the next leader. You have to take a different approach. Legalize, tax, and regulate drugs. Put the cartels out of business. You're, if you're saying they're strong enough to compete with government forces, then for you to say, let's go wage a war against them, you're saying we want to wage war against a competent opponent. Well, in a situation like that, it's going to lead to a stalemate. And by the way, it'll probably massively increase the number of civilian deaths. So uh, he couldn't be more incorrect. He couldn't be more wrong. And this, they're floating this on Fox News, the number one so-called news network on the planet. They're like, let's, I mean, we already got a war in Iraq going on. You know, thankfully, we just pulled out of Afghanistan, but we got the shadow war in Africa. Let's add another war. Let's go to, you know, we got a. We're missing a war or two. So let's add one in Mexico. Unbelievable. And they're right there. And, and Mexico is at risk of becoming a failed state. We have to work together with their government to deal with this. I'm curious. I wonder what Mexico would think of American troops at the border doing uh, this cartel line of attack. Uh, they might interpret it differently. How what kind of reaction have you gotten? Well, we've always had trouble getting the Mexican government to work with us. And you right. can compare it to a country like Colombia. So we've been dealing with Colombia for decades. America was very. All right. You guys get the gist of it. Look, what I want to let Dan Crenshaw know is this simple fact. Now, I don't know if he knows this or not. If I'm being kind to him, it's like, OK, maybe he doesn't know this because he's asking for more of the war on drugs. What was the war on drugs actually about? Well, this was a very famous thing that came out a few years back. OK, 
Uh, Nixon had a domestic policy chief by the name of John Ehrlichman. There's a top guy in the Nixon administration. He was honest with the media at one point. And he said in, 19, in 1994, he told the media the following. You ready for this? Quote, the Nixon campaign in 1968 and the Nixon White House after that had two enemies, the anti-war left and black people. You understand what I'm saying? We knew we couldn't make it illegal to be either against the war or black, but by getting the public to associate the hippies with marijuana and blacks with heroin and then criminalizing both heavily, we could disrupt those communities. We could arrest their leaders, raid their homes, break up their meetings and vilify them night after night on the evening news. Did we know did we know we were lying about the drugs? Of course we did. So in other words, all of this all like the highfalutin story of like bro, we just want to like protect the kids and protect the population cuz drugs like ruin your mind and ruin your life and so us the well-meaning people in the government are just here to save you from the pitfalls of life. They'll take you down the wrong path. <laughs> By the way, if that was true, if you really want to help people, why wouldn't it be a war on drugs in that you mandate people go to rehab? You assign them a therapist or a psychologist. You help them get a job. You work. Why would you do that? So they say, we're here to help. And then it's like, uh, lock them in a cage. Lock them up, throw away the key, ruin their life, make sure they can't get a job afterwards. Because it wasn't really about that. The war on drugs was about this. Oh, it turns out our political opponents are the hippies, the anti-war left. And black people. Well, I see a lot of marijuana use. I see a lot of drug use in some of these communities. What if we just use this as the excuse to crack down on them politically? Basically give us political prisoners. And this is why the war on drugs is deeply authoritarian. We had slavery. We had Jim Crow. We had redlining. And now we have the drug war. And it's to go after poor white people and black people and minority communities. And it was on purpose. It was on purpose that they did this. And so even the idea was oh, to help you, bro, to keep you safe and stuff, bro. Nonsense. It was never about that. And now we have 115,000 plus dead bodies in a literal war on drugs in Mexico. We have millions of people locked up all around this country with their life ruined as a result of these draconian laws. And instead of addressing this by fixing the problems by legalizing, taxing, and regulating drugs, by putting the cartels out of business, by doing safe injection sites, by leaning into rehab and help for people, instead of doing any of that. He says, let's invade Mexico. Let's do a literal war with our neighbor. People who, by the way, we are massive trading partners with. You want to invade them? This is psycho stuff, man. All the problems we have in this country, 85 million Americans, uninsured or underinsured, when it comes to healthcare. He's like, just war with Mexico? Does that sound good, bro? Does that sound good? <laughs> Amazing. Incredible stuff. Turning Points USA is, of course, the, like, right-wing youth outreach group. And Lauren Boebert did a recent TPUSA event on faith. Mm. This is going to be uh, very intellectual. Let's see what she had to say. And uh, one thing that I love, uh, 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 just an analogy, maybe, maybe it's true, maybe it's not, uh, about the second coming of... <laughs> I love it, I love that. One thing I have to say, maybe it's true, maybe it's not. Maybe I'm just making this up. All right, Lauren, hit us, what do you got? 
an analogy, maybe maybe it's true, maybe it's not, uh, about the second coming of Jesus. Um, I've heard stories of, you know, people believing that Christians are going to be um, hiding out in caves and, you know, and just um, lockdown. Maybe, maybe it's a lockdown. Maybe it's a government lockdown. But She's speaking to a 1980s hairband reject here. This guy would have loved to be in, like, Poison, <laughs> one of those bands. Jeez, man. Holy cow. Sorry, I'll stop interrupting. And, you know, and just um, lockdown. Maybe maybe it's a lockdown. Maybe it's a government lockdown. But they're shut in and they beg for Jesus to come back. He comes back and rescues them. I don't think that that's the way it's going to be. If, if the Old Testament is a type and a shadow of the New Testament and you look at the exodus from Egypt, Pharaoh, he was the one who called for God to get his people. He said, get your people out of here. And I believe if, if that type and shadow is true for the New Testament, the church, God's people will be out in such a great force right. that Satan himself will call for the second coming of Jesus. He will say, I cannot do a thing in this earth with your people here. Right. You come and get them. Come on. Isn't that great? That. that is amazing. That's, am <laughs> That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. She gets so excited. Look at her face at the end. She acts like she just said, like she just came up with some brilliant mathematical theorem or something. Look you say, I cannot do a thing in face. this earth with your people here. Right. You come and get them. Come on. Smug. Isn't that great? That. That is Smug amazing. <laughs> she smugly thinks she's like this massive genius for saying, bro, you know what we got to do? We got to be so godly and so heavenly and so holy and so saintly that Satan comes back and Satan looks around and goes, bro, you guys are such good people. You're too good of people. In fact, I'm out of here. Maybe God will come back because I can't, I can't, I can't change any of your minds with my evil, satanic, demonic, devilish ways. What kind of. How can you say those words out loud and be like, nailing it? Everybody's going to be like, great point, bro. Great. What? What? Hey, guys, I have to say this. It's the it's the true believers that really scare me. You know, there's a lot of Christians out there and Muslims out there and Jews and Hindus and Buddhists or whatever. And like, they'll tell you, yeah, here's what our thing teaches. Here's the philosophy. But there's always there's like there's like an undertone of like, do I believe this stuff is literal? No. It's like, yeah, this is how we were raised, what we thought. And, you know, it is what it is type stuff. She seems like a true believer. She seems like this goofy scenario that she made up about Satan going, you guys are too holy, I'm out. That this is like, actually, that's how I think end times is going to happen. End times? We're talking about end times? End times. There's over 4,000 religions in existence. Lauren Boebert really thinks the one that she happened to be born in, it just happens to be factually correct and is really like going to unfold in front of us. I don't know how anybody can think that. So you never spent a moment of your life questioning your own faith, questioning the propaganda that was pumped into your brain. God, any sort look, and just give me a hint of agnosticism. And I respect you, right? Like, there are plenty of religious people. I respect them. You know, hey, I happen to be Christian. I happen to be Muslim, whatever. It's like, cool. But there's a sense of like, yeah, this is just, we, we're choosing to believe this or act like this there's no you know we i'm not proving anything like how can you even prove it just a little bit of humility a little bit of agnosticism it's not there it's not there she's got these crazy scenarios she's concocting about 
Satan coming back now. By the way, is Satan all red and muscular with the with the pointy tail and with the horns? And <laughs> I want to come take you away, but you are too holy. <laughs> I must run away because you're too good of a person. <laughs> is that how this goes down? Does hippie Jesus come down wearing his you know white his white gown that he always seems to be wearing, and he's like all hippie vibed out and whatnot? We're talking about Jesus. By the way, if Lauren Boebert truly believes in Jesus, as it looks like she does, have you ever read anything the guy said? Have you read anything he said? The dude was deeply, deeply anti-rich. He was for the poor, for the downtrodden. He was a pacifist. It Okay, the idea of turn the other cheek, just so everybody understands, that is, the idea is, if you hit me on this cheek, I will present the other one, hit this one too, and I'm not going to fight back. He doesn't even believe in self-defense. Right? And these people, like, they love, for example, Kyle Rittenhouse, who they said, he fought back in self-defense. But the Jesus idea was pacifism. You know, it, don't fight back no matter what. Because there's something inherently moral about nonviolence. There's a commitment as a matter of principle to nonviolence. She doesn't act out any of the things that she should, in theory, act out. In, in the Bible, they are falling all over themselves, fawning over what they call the sojourners, which are the immigrants, which means treat them just like they're your own family. Treat them as kindly as humanly possible. These people hate immigrants. And there's the parts of the Bible they absolutely ignore. You know, the, the, there's, it's an abomination to eat shrimp. Well, uh, you know, does she eat shrimp? I don't know. She probably does. A lot of people who are Christian, they eat. I mean, in, in like uh, the Catholic uh, Italian culture on Christmas Eve, you eat shrimp. You eat like a, a, a seven course fish meal on Christmas Eve. It's like, did you guys even read the thing that you're, you know, saying that this is the basis of your life? I, I, I'm not even done yet. Hold on. It gets better. It gets better. So now Lauren Bober brings up God in the context of her reelection. Oh boy. Oh boy. Here we go. Loud. Totally. Um, but, and then this one, it was just the Democrat and myself. He campaigned as a Republican. Right. The media allowed him to do that. They right. called him a conservative. Right. Right. Um, uh, just allowed him to define himself as that. It's bizarre. Um, but I won again with 51% of the vote. Uh, it just took a lot longer to get there. But, you know, throughout all of this, um, I, I was telling you, you know, God was really pressing on my heart the story of Elijah. Um, he said the true God will answer by fire. And yeah. those who worshipped Baal, uh, they they believed that Baal was the, the true God. He yeah. said, Elijah said, prove it. If, if Baal is the true God, tell him to answer by fire. And they're calling for him. They're screaming. They're hollering. Yeah. They're cutting themselves. They're acting right. a fool. Uh, you know, we've seen that like in 2020 riots right, and stuff, right. uh, but their God didn't show up. Elijah was mocking them. Yeah. Well, maybe cry a little bit louder. Right. Maybe he can't hear you. Maybe he's sleeping. Maybe he's on vacation. I right. love that so much. Um, and then he went and he said, you know what? I'm going to do you one better. I don't want you to say that this is some kind of fluke, um, some sort of combustion that just happened. I'm going to drench the altar with fire right. or with water three times. Three times he went and drenched the altar with fire and God with water and God still showed up by fire. And that's what he was showing me with this election. Yeah. He said it may look impossible in the natural right. that there will not be a victory. You may hear the voices. You may hear other people, but I am going to show up. And he yeah. did. So God showed up for her. God allowed her to win because she's a prophet for him. God doesn't give a I can't curse because YouTube's cracking down. He doesn't give a rat's butt about you. Wow, that was lame. <laughs> he doesn't. Does God care 
about the elections in Madagascar? What are his thoughts on the uh, prime minister of New Zealand? What are you talking about? By the way, if God controls everything, if God is the almighty, if God's powerful, why did he make it that you only won by 500 votes? This was a massively pro-Trump district. It was a safely pro-Trump district. The fact that the Democrat almost won is a minor miracle. So if God was so like, hey, I want to send a message that you're the chosen one and you're special, why wouldn't he give you like 65% of the vote? Why wouldn't it be a crushing victory on your side? Maybe God ain't got nothing to do with it. Maybe you are a terrible, divisive candidate and you almost lost a seat that should have been an easy layup in what was supposed to be a red wave leak year. And what is this? I don't the whole story she's telling about bail and the fire and the water. What are you saying? God's testing me, but I ended up pulling it out. That's what's happening. You're a bad candidate and a bad politician who almost lost, even though you're in a layup Republican district. That's all that's going on here. That's all there is. And again, it drives me crazy because she clearly is a true believer. She's clearly up to her eyeballs in these fairy tales. But like. She doesn't actually implement any of the things that in theory she would if she actually was a person of the book, right? We always go back to abortion. Why? Because there's a part of the Bible that prescribes abortion. If your wife cheats on you, she's supposed to drink the bitter water and miscarry, aka have an abortion, because that's not your baby. That's the baby of the guy she cheated on you with. They prescribe it in there. This whole idea that the Bible's like super pro-life, bro. That's all, you know, hey, half the Bible is... Is God saying, definitely treat a fetus like it's a full-grown adult? That ain't in there, dog. That ain't in there. And she has extremist uh, abortion politics, extremist everything politics, and it's like this weird amalgamation of super fundamentalist evangelical Christianity and hardcore Republican politics. It's all just born out of the cultural environment and social environment she was raised in. Where mommy and daddy told you X, Y, and Z, and you mixed in your own dash of hubris and narcissism and personal beliefs, and at the end of it all, what do you got? You're babbling about faith on a, at a TPUSA interview with a dude who was, should be in a 1980s hairband. Like, this is all drivel, man. It's all drivel. I can't. I can't. These people. <sighs> so there you have it. Uh, Lauren Boebert getting creepily religious, but assuming that she was chosen by God, even though she was barely chosen by the voters in her own massively conservative district. All right, let's have some fun here. So uh, Hank Kuhneman is a massive pro-Trump pastor, televangelist type dude. And um, he's got some thoughts for us about what's happening with Joe Biden. Now, I, I want you to pay attention because look, you got to keep it real. It, this is like a high budget thing he's got going on. Whatever his his ministry is here, you know, the cameras, the lighting like this is there's a lot that went into this. So this thing is funded, right? Like he gets money. He's got followers. And let's let's listen to the content of what he believes. So somebody just texted me a picture of the, the guy that they say is Biden. And I'm going to be mm. honest with you. Uh, it doesn't look there's several pictures. It looks nothing like the guy that is Joe Biden. Now people say, oh, it's cosmetic surgery. I'm a cartoonist. I also, uh, I also, and I'm being honest, I also uh, am a portrait artist. And I recognize features. 
And I can see features and what, what is, I'm telling you, this is very interesting because November 4th of 2020, God said 46 doesn't exist. I remember that. And I had a dream on November 4th. I was literally, I saw where they announced the election for this fake administration. And I saw what looked like the face of what we would call Joe Biden. And the, the voice of the devil spoke, in fact, his, his face changed. Remember, I said, I don't know what's going on with his face, but it wasn't him. And little, listen, something's, something's happening. I'm not, you say, well, that sounds like conspiracy. I don't listen to any of that stuff. I don't even listen to the news. I'm just looking at pictures that are sent to me. I went out and researched it myself, said, okay, typed in what? And I'm like, come on, man. Come on, man. Come on, man. And, and so for one, the, the one uh, Biden, uh, all the years he had bluish green eyes. Now this, this new thing has uh, brown eyes. So, you know, let's 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 be honest. You know, I think we're being played. Man, it is so easy to become like a televangelist grifter or a hard right commentator grifter. You just got a mouth to just say the things that the people in the base want to hear and just ride that gravy train of money, dog. You know, it's like the whole thing. We've watched the fight between Stephen Crowder and Ben Shapiro. The Daily Wire offered Stephen Crowder 50 million dollars over four years and there were some provisions in it about how, hey, if you get kicked off of YouTube, you got to take X amount of a haircut or whatever. And uh, you had Stephen Crowder acting like, oh, this is enslavement. It's like, Jesus Christ, the money you guys have on that side. Holy cow. Now, obviously, this guy doesn't have that kind of money. But like he's built some semblance of a following saying things like this. Yeah, Joe Biden. He's a um, he was replaced with the demon. That's it. He's a demon. Joe Biden is a demon. Joe Biden is asleep. Joe Biden is barely conscious. Joe Biden, they need to pump him up full of Adderall to get him out of bed in the morning. Joe Biden's a demon. Well, if, well, if Joe Biden's a demon, let me tell you something. It's kind of crazy that a demon got lower prescription drug prices for seniors through. It's kind of amazing. It's kind of crazy that a demon cut checks for $1,600 to Americans in the midst of the pandemic when they desperately needed some relief. That's kind of crazy. I would imagine a demon would do the opposite of things like that. You know, a demon seems to me like a demon would not have uh, pulled out of Afghanistan and reduced the drone war. The demon would start 47 new wars. He's just like, what are you going to do? What are you going to do these people, man? A demon, Joe Biden, a demon, a demon. Okay. I got I got another one for you, because as soon as this guy said this, I was like, OK, let's see. Joe Biden. I like Google Joe Biden demon or Joe Biden body double or something like that, because it's kind of hard to see what he's saying. He said, like, oh, it's the devil. Or now it seems to also be making the case that, like, yeah, there's multiple Joe Bidens or one. The original one is dead. And then we got a new one. I love conspiracies, especially when like when they're this made up. So Vice covered this. This was uh, from July 29, 2022. Is Joe Biden dead, replaced by 10 different deepfake body doubles in investigation? Ugh. I, okay, why? Just don't be interested in politics. If this is the stuff that, like, you want to do and want to talk about and, and, like, just why are you even interested in politics? Like, politics is about policy, Hey, what do we implement to try to make us a better society and move us forward? Like, how do we change the laws? If you're doing this, why just like re go read comic books or something. Become a Trekkie. 
You know, do, do, do follow Magic the Gathering. Like, why? I, okay, I, I let's watch. Okay, so here we go. Here's the... It's over. Open and shut case, dog. This guy and this guy... They're totally different people, bro. Totally different people, bro. I've never seen two people who look more alike. I've never obviously seen something that's like, oh, this is, this, this is the same guy. How can you even pretend to think like, oh, no, these are different. Why? Is it because the lighting is slightly different in the room? Is that the idea? This is clearly the same person. What are you... Okay, I want to show you because this is great. So this guy, five times August, apparently he was some musician or something. Two videos posted within a couple hours of each other. I mean, you tell me what's going on here. Uh, the lighting is slightly different in one uh, place and then the other place. Maybe it's the lighting. Okay, more. I'll, I'll play for you. Here's the two videos back and forth. Pay attention to his physical appearance and his voice. Again, both supposedly from today. Both only a few hours apart. What the hell is happening here? <laughs> okay, let's watch. I love this stuff. This got 1.4 million views, bro. Folks, as we fight inflation, you can't be pro-insurrection and pro-cop. Bringing down gas prices is a big part of the job. You can't be pro-insurrection and pro-democracy. You can't be pro-insurrection and pro-American. And here's the good news. Gas prices have dropped every day this summer. That's more than 40 days in a row. Donald Trump lacked the courage to act. We now have 40,000 gas stations in the United States where the price of gas is $3.99 or less. The brave women and men in blue all across this nation should never forget that. How do we get the price down? Well, the new report today shows that our they think this is like, that's it, bro. Open and shut case. He's got body doubles. The only thing that's different is like the lighting and where he is in his Adderall cycle. That's it. Like the lighting, the angle, and where he is in his Adderall cycle. When one of them he's higher than the other one. Like, and by the way, if you were gonna. If you were, if you were going to do body doubles, I don't think you would do it like on the same day where you give two speeches, right? Like somehow the people who orchestrate all this are massive geniuses, but they're also colossal idiots who don't realize like, hey, for the same day, you might want to use the same one. What are we even talking about here, man? What are we even talking about? I love this because there was a, there's Hillary Clinton had the same conspiracy theories. I think they had him about, uh, I think it was Melania they had him about, although the Melania one seemed like, mm. <laughs> Oh, yeah, the Melania one was kind of like, I don't know, man, maybe. Maybe. But look, this one, I don't even see how anybody's even debating this. My eye can detect the uncanny valley instantly. This is 100% deepfake technology. They pasted Biden's face on an actor. I'd bet my career on it. Okay. <laughs> all right. And then what? And then what? Let's grant them. It's all true. You're right about all of it. Not the demon part, because demons aren't real. Right? That's like, you know, me granting that there's a wizard or something. Like, no, I'm not going to grant that, because that's dumb. But let's say it's a body double. And then what? Like, what hinges on it? I'll tell you what hinges on nothing. We can still see the laws that these people are trying to pass, or passing. You know, we can still see what they're fighting for, what they believe in how corrupt the system is. That's what you have to go after. Not like the... 
Honestly, this reminds me a little bit of like the 9-11 truth movement, because whenever you would dive into the specifics of it, it's like, what do you guys want? We want a new investigation. Okay. And then what? Well, we want the investigation and we want them to come out and say, you guys are right about everything. It was an inside job. And then what? Well, we want to arrest uh, Bush and Cheney. Yeah, but you could already you should arrest Bush and Cheney regardless of if 9-11 is, is an inside job because they were torturers and they were war criminals and they did illegal wars against countries that didn't attack us. So there's enough to arrest them there even without that. So what else do you want it for? They just wanted vindication. They just wanted vindication. There wasn't like a. Like, a, they just want everybody to agree with them, basically. Like, yeah, no, we agree. It was an inside job. And then it's just like, okay. And then what? We still need to hire minimum wage. We still need more unions. We still need to end the illegal wars. We still need Medicare for all. You know, we still need uh, free childcare. We still need pay vacation time by law. Like, so just, why not focus on the things that actually make the difference? Anyway, I digress. I'm getting too lost in the weeds here. And that's not to say that some of those 9-11 conspiracy theories weren't like, super creative, because they were. I mean, if you watch one of those things back in the day, you'd be like, damn, this is actually kind of convincing. But that doesn't mean it's that they're actually correct. And, th and that also doesn't mean, like, okay, what's the point of this? If they can't give you a compelling point, why you should even care, why you should be fighting on the front, it's like, are we just all wasting our time here? Is that what we're doing? Um, so, anyway, you guys caught him, bro. These are two totally different people. And he's a demon. So we got a study here that came out of the, um, I believe it's the Journal of Duh. Recreational cannabis laws linked with reduced dementia. <laughs> Me saying those words was dementia. Uh, recreational cannabis laws linked with reduced demand for prescription codeine. Study. Our research indicates that recreational cannabis laws substantially reduce distribution of codeine to pharmacies and overlook potential benefit for legalizing recreational, recreational cannabis use. So in other words, um, what they're saying is, hey, when you give people a different way to numb their pain, ease their anxiety, um, give them a little pick-me-up, you get a reduction in, you know, other kinds of abuses, you know, other kinds of addictions. Now, of course, look, the downside of the pills is that it is possible to overdose on pills, right? With weed, you know, if you smoke too much, you eat Cheetos and cookie dough ice cream and watch reruns of the Brady Bunch. Like, there's no, you know, you can, in theory, die from overdosing on weed, but the amount of weed you have to smoke or ingest is more than any human has ever done ever in history, right? So... In other words, the trade-off makes sense. So they say the following. States that implemented recreational cannabis laws through 2019 saw lower demand for prescription codeine, according to new research published this week. Data showed a 26%, that's pretty solid, reduction in pharmacy-based distribution of codeine in the 10 states plus Washington, D.C. While after the laws had been in place for four years, pharmacy-based distribution of codeine fell by as much as 37%. Jesus. Jesus. So I look, I guess for some people it's also just a painkiller. You know, like weed can function as a painkiller. I know that CBD oil tends to do that for people as well. And CBD oil doesn't even get you high. Among prescription opioids, codeine, is, codeine misuse is especially high. Because probably one of the few pills that is still, like, available where there wasn't a massive crackdown on it. Because they cracked down on the Vicodin and the Percocet and things like that. And by the way, that was actually a mistake too. Because that led to the fentanyl overdoses. Because these people who were on the pills couldn't get them, so they went to get heroin on the black market, and some of it was laced with fentanyl, and boom, you get 100,000 overdoses. Um, recreational cannabis use may be a substitute 
for codeine misuse. That's from the University of Pittsburgh School of Public Health. Currently, 21 states have recreational cannabis use laws in place. And while cannabis and opioids can both be used for chronic pain symptoms, they have different impacts on patient health. In 2021, misuse of prescription opioids contributed to nearly 13,500 overdose deaths in the U.S., researchers wrote. But again, you have to compare that to what the situation is like now. So in other words... Back when it was just the pain pill abuse, there was about 30,000 deaths a year. Now, because fentanyl's on the scene and you crack down on the pills, it's about 100,000 deaths a year. So it actually got way worse. So what they're saying here is with legal weed all around the country, we probably would be able to reduce some of that opioid dependence, whether it's on the pills or black market heroin or whatever. You have like a relatively safe alternative to that. Now, how much is it going to reduce the overdose deaths? That's that's up for debate and discussion, but it probably will reduce it to some extent. Quote, a reduction in the misuse of opioids can save lives. A said study author, Shyam Rahman, a doctoral candidate in Cornell University's Jeb E. Brooks School of Public Policy, the Jeb Bush Please Clap School of Public Policy. Our research indicates that recreational cannabis laws substantially reduce distribution of codeine to pharmacies and overlook potential benefit to legalize recreational cannabis. So in other words, look, very simple. There are upsides to legalizing weed beyond just the increase in freedom and liberty. Um, You can actually get people off of worse drugs. And so, look, you guys know my take on this. It's always been the same. Legalize tax and regulate the drugs. That allows the government to come in and regulate in a way that's intelligent to stop people from harming themselves while also allowing for protection of freedoms. And so the worst way we do it is the way we do it right now. Right. Where actually, that's not fair. Now we have 21 states with legal weed. It was worse when we didn't have 21 states with legal weed. But like the federal being illegal on the federal level is inexcusable. Now, thankfully, Biden is is working on that. And they they're basically going to reschedule weed right now to schedule one substance, which is insane. It's up there with the worst drugs there is. So they're going to kick that down to schedule two or three or maybe even take it off the scheduled substances list, which is going to be a huge positive thing. Um but you got to stop the war on drugs. You got to stop the criminalization of drugs. You have to take a totally different approach. And by the way, this late date, we have so much evidence that that's the right way to go. There's been uh, countries that have decriminalized drugs. There hasn't been an increase in, um, you know, abuse or negative side effects. Uh, so it's a positive thing. And now we know there are other, uh, you know, unintended positive consequences like potentially reducing uh, other sorts of addictions, which are worse addictions. Now, some would turn around and argue, well, then you're just addicted to weed. To which I say, and to which many people would say, whoopty frickin' do. You know, we got a lot of people walking around today that are addicted to Red Bull or Monster Energy or Xanax pills or beer. And, you know, last I've seen is that people aren't exactly melting down over that. People aren't exactly, you know, crying over that and saying that it's the destruction of the country, you know? So... That's part of the deal with freedom is some percentage of people might struggle and they deserve help, but that doesn't mean you take it away from everybody else in a situation like that. So in this case, legalize weed all across the country. That'll help with our um, pain pill dependence. But you guys know my whole thing. Honestly, I think those things should be legal, too, because with the crackdown on a lot of these pain pills like opioids and Percocet, that's where you get the fentanyl overdoses. So anyway, there you have it. Um can't say I'm too surprised that there's more upsides to legal weed. All right, guys, that's the show. I love you all very much. Um, hey, do me a favor. Subscribe to the channel. We're trying to get to a million subs. And if everybody who watched the channel subscribed, we'd already be there. 
So help help us climb that mountain there. Click that bell icon so you get a notification uh, every single time a video drops. Really appreciate that. Support the show on Patreon as well if you support what we do here. Not going to lie to y'all, this new anti-cursing policy from YouTube is obliterating us. It really is. This was a, a massive crackdown on cursing, and you guys know I curse like a sailor. I tried, I'm trying not to, but sometimes it just it slips out. So, you know, two bucks a month, five bucks a month, whatever you can do on Patreon, I really appreciate it. If you can, if not... It's understandable. I still love you. Um, and you can support Crystal Kylan friends on Substack as well. Um, and remember, guys, there is uh, Crystal, Sager, and myself will be in Austin, Texas, doing a live show at the Paramount Theater on February 3rd. So come check us out there. We're almost out of tickets. So if you want to go to this event, get tickets right now. Paramount Theater, Austin, Texas, February 3rd. Doors open at 6.30. Show starts at 7.30. Um, I'm really looking forward to that. It's going to be a great time. But again, tickets are almost gone. So if you want to uh, go to that, definitely, definitely don't wait. Like, jump into it right now because it's going to be, they're going to be gone soon. So anyway, having said all that, I love you all very much and I'll talk to you soon. Peace.